Now, my let's first start with how day one started to take us through the events. Well, so basically today we saw one witness of the defense being called a psychologist, um, Jonathan Scope. He actually was a part of the panel that assessed the stories back in 2014 when the court had asked for uh, an analysis on his emotional and, and um, psychological state of mind. So we saw him today giving his testimony and report as to where exactly is Oscar now in terms of his um, emotional and psychological state of mind, where he described Oscar as a broken and vulnerable man. This was basically to mitigate you know, against the sentence, especially when he described the fact that um, Oscar told him that he witnessed or experienced several traumatic incidents while he was incarcerated at the Hoshima Mamburu prison. He said that he overheard a man being raped and the fact that that victim um, actually hung himself. And he's saying that those conditions are not conducive um, for someone who suffers from severe depression, um, severe anxiety, as well as post-traumatic stress disorder. So that was basically, you know, his testimony um, in chief. Mm. And just in terms of um, testimony coming out of Oscar Pistorius's fear of gunshots, take us through that. Yes, basically he was saying that, you know, somebody who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, it's normal for them to, to, to have reactions, especially if it's something to do with a gun. And we know that he fatally um, shot the Everstein camp um, that, that fateful day in, in February 2013. Saying that you know when Oscar listens to something, it sounds like a gunshot, even if it's playing on TV. You know he has episodes and anxiety attacks because of the fact that you know it takes him back to that day. So he's saying that even though it may seem like um, what what Karina was trying to portray that you know this is just a storytelling thing and not really remorseful. He's saying these are you know the symptoms of of, of these are the things of post-traumatic stress disorder. You do go back and you do relive what happened before. Mm. So, effectively, what is uh, Professor Scott saying that uh, should Oscar be reincarcerated again at all? No, um, Professor Scott is basically recommending that um, he be maybe given a um, suspended sentence or even community service, saying that Oscar has um, indicated to him that he'd like to work with children who are affected by landmines in Mozambique. And uh, in his opinion, he'd be better, um, it'd be better for him to serve um, the community instead of being incarcerated. He's saying that jail it would, would basically um, be a detriment to, to his person, to his personal being. So he's saying that um, Oscar should not be given a jail term. Mm. So uh, let's go back to what uh, was said by the state prosecutor, Gerinel, questioning um, the objectivity of the psychologist. Uh, he referred to an incident in prison. Uh, recap that for us. Yes, basically, you know, there was there was a, a specific report that um, Serenel pulled out of the file that uh, Professor Scott gave him, saying that he didn't highlight this report. And that's a report, you know, from the prison saying that um, at the beginning of his uh, term, when he was serving at the prison, he was actually, he had violent out- outbursts towards um, the prison officials. And he asked why he didn't include this in his report, why he didn't highlight it, why didn't he, uh, you know, factor it in when he was giving his testimony. Does this, and he basically accused him of only selecting the positive aspects of the reports that um, he was given or that he um, actually uh, assessed. 
and saying that this, you know, shows bias towards um, his testimony in order to assist Oscar Pistorius in the mitigation. And uh, Professor Scholz was replied saying that he didn't find that report um, relevant to what he was looking for. He even went as far as saying that it was ill-written and poorly compiled. So uh, just uh, the reaction from the family members on both sides, what was that? Um, we've seen the Skin Come family be uh, actually very good at keeping a, fo- a poker face throughout the trial. And it was the same thing today. You could see that, you know, uh, we couldn't exactly see the emotions. Um, even from both sides of the family, in the Pothoros family, there wasn't anybody actually saying, you know, or you could tell on their faces that they were disheartened or they were excited or anything like that. Um, but we did see um, Oscar Pistorius fail to hold his composure while he was sitting in the dock listening to the testimony of Professor Scott. You know, he was crying, he was red-faced, and um, so it was difficult again for him to be sitting in that position. All right, thanks a lot, Norma. Norma Bolani is uh, our reporter who is covering that sentencing uh, appearance of uh, Oscar Pistorius. Let's uh, look at the legality uh, underway. Legal expert Dr. Llewellyn Kerr-Lewis joins us now on the line. A very good afternoon to you, Dr. Kerr-Lewis, and thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you. Good afternoon to you as well. So let's trace it back from the beginning, at least with respect to what kind of sentence Oscar Pistorius uh, deserves. We saw that uh, he lost that appeal and uh, now he uh, his sentencing is on murder. What is effectively the essence of this trial? What is going to be taken into account? Right. The, the, the long and the short of that answer is to start with the minimum uh, legislation applicable for a person that was convicted of a charge of murder uh, and such a person being a first offender, as in this instance, Oscar Pistorius. Now, if one then take cognizance of the legislator, the suggested term of imprisonment, and that is direct imprisonment, is a term of between 15 and 20 years direct imprisonment. Obviously, the Supreme Court of Appeal already indicated that the trial judge must take into consideration the fact that he served more or less the year already, uh, the first time around. Uh, so that must be deducted from whatever the, oh, the judge ultimately hands down. Uh, and then there's also the, um, uh, the prerogative of a presiding trial judge to deviate from the minimum sentencing legislation where she can find uh, that there are compelling and substantial evidence to deviate from, from the minimum uh, sentence. Now, let's all uh, assume that she can find such substantial and uh, compelling reasons, and she deducts two years for that. Uh, also, the one year that he already sat out, that's another year. That leaves us with 15 minus 3. So my gut feeling is, if I have to make an estimate, is that a suitable sentence in, uh, in accordance to law would be around about 12 years of direct imprisonment. Hmm. And we'll get to uh, that uh, deviation in just a moment, but I want to go back to the fact that he's already served a year in prison, and that was for being sentenced to five years. So if he were to be sentenced to that 12 years, effectively that would mean he would be out of prison when? Well, in terms of the law, once again, you're eligible for parole after serving at least half of your sentence. So if you receive uh, 12 years, say, for example then he must be, well, he's eligible to to be considered for parole after serving then six years of direct imprisonment. 
Now, let's go back to what Judge Togo Masipa um, sentenced him for and on. She said, for instance, that culpable homicide, the crime with which he was being charged, is negligence, which borders on intent. So uh, she is said to have judged him or charged him with the top end of the culpable homicide scale. Um, does that mean that it's very likely that he would be Sentenced at the lower end of uh, the minimum for uh, homos- for for murder. No, that's uh, unfortunately not uh, exactly how the law functions in this instance. Uh, remember, when when it comes to uh, to culpable homicide, which is the lower form of killing a person uh, uh, in, in in society, then there is no prescribed minimum sentence legislation applicable. So the court can actually then. Uh, hand down any form of sentence in accordance to our section 276 of the Criminal Procedure Act, which actually leaves a wide range of sentencing options available to court. But the moment you get to murder, then the minimum legislation is applicable, and then the legislators suggest that the court must start off with 15 years and then, at best, uh, consider substantial and, and, and mitigating factors to deviate from that for a year or two. But uh, to, to deviate from it to such an extent that we will enter the sphere of less than 10 years, uh, I think that will open up a new can of worms and open up the possibility that the state will once again appeal uh, the sentence this time around for being uh, too lenient in favor of Oscar Pistorius. So this 12 years that you're predicting, does that mean that it takes into consideration the one year that he's already spent in prison if we're looking at the minimum of 15 years? I'm just trying to uh, find out the calculations here. Correct. One, 100% correct. That is already uh, considered in his favor. And, and that is obviously also on the assumption that besides the one year that he already served, that Judge Tokusili Masipa can also find uh, compelling reasons to deviate a further two years from what is otherwise prescribed as what is supposed to be handed out. And you say, uh, as per your um, deductions of previous events, that that is more likely that she's shown herself to be more um, sympathetic to Oscar Pistorius. Once again, spot on. Uh, remember the last time around when we when when she handed down judgment, uh, she actually uh, considered correctional supervision as an appropriate sentence for uh, culpable homicide, despite the fact that she found that he was on the upper upper side of negligence, almost amounting to gross negligence and intent, uh, suggesting that despite that finding of her, she nonetheless decided that he is he is a suitable candidate for correctional supervision instead of. Uh, direct imprisonment. Because remember last time around, she actually handed down a five years uh, correctional supervision sentence in terms of what we call Section 2761I of the Criminal Procedure Act. It was not a form of direct imprisonment, although the, the legislator then suggests that the, the, you must go in, serve a sixth of your sentence, and only then are you eligible to be to be to come out on ordinary parole uh, and correctional supervision, amounting to things like house arrest programs and so forth and so on. So that was the reason. All in all, in practical terms, what I'm trying to to, to say is that she already indicated the first time around that she is uh, more lenient towards Oscar Pistorius than what we one would expect from a person that uh, has been found guilty uh, and where a judge. Uh, was uh, determined to hand down the most severe sentence possible. That's why I've, 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 I've deducted 
my, my two or three years from the minimum of 15 years instead of starting at 20 years. That, that is also a, a possibility in terms of the law. Mm. So let's go to the flip side then, the an aggravation of sentence here. We've seen what the state prosecutor, Gerinel, uh, was saying with regards to what he believes to be almost centered at the bias of the psychologist saying that he didn't um, highlight the areas in which Oscar Pistorius was said to have behaved aggressively, meaning that uh, this could be his general conduct or Mina. Hmm. Well, indeed, I, I think that was the gist of these cross-examination to suggest to the court uh, that the uh, Gerinel has two, two basically criticisms against the, 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 the expert uh, evidence. And that is, first of all, whether we can deduct safely that uh, Oscar Pistorius had correct and sufficient amount of remorse in order for the court to take it into consideration as a mitigating factor. It, um, the, remember, Professor Scholes indicated to court that he was of the opinion that uh, Oscar Pistorius um, uh, had more than sufficient remorse under the circumstances. But then simultaneously, when cross-examined by Harry Nell, uh, he could not be persuaded to indicate to the court whether Oscar Pistorius has actually, during consultations and intervie- interviews with these experts, admitted to the fact that he now acknowledged that he had the true intention to commit the crime. And, and, and that was to be frowned upon. The, 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 the second very issue uh, um, forthcoming from that is also the question of why a person uh, of the caliber of Oscar Pistorius uh, having post-traumatic stress syndrome, according to the expert, is unwilling to testify in his own mitigation in court uh, to come and show to the court to what extent he has remorse. But, more, but no less than a week or two before today's hearing, he was more than capable of, of having an international interview with the media house. And I think that was the, the kind of cross-examination that uh, was uh, a, a point of contention for the defense, uh, because it suggests to the court that he's not playing open cards to the court. He wants to create the impression that he's remorseful, etc., by calling an expert on his behalf, but he's not willing to do so under under oath himself. Thank you so much for speaking to us and sharing your insights. Uh, Legal expert Dr. Llewellyn Kerr-Lewis brings the time to 22 and a half past four. Let's uh, find out what's happening on the roads now with Rockburn. Traffic on SAFM.